0: Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is more than one lesson. Thank you all for listening. So, all right, uh, we've got a lot to talk about today. Uh, we have a number of announcements, which um, I will get into right now. First off, uh, Reed has reviewed Ken Russell's The Devils, which was only only recently, I think, like re-released. It was a film that was very hard to come by, but um, uh, now these people are not a sponsor. But what I will say is that. Uh, uh, shutter, the streaming, the streaming service for horror movies. Uh, we have a subscription to that, uh, so that Reed can, uh, indulge in, uh, his love of horror. And so that is where the devils is playing. And so you can read all about it. it's a film that is very controversial in certain Christian circles. And so he does address that. Um, there's a new episode of salty cinema, Jacob Kinberg's podcast. And on that, he interviews Todd, uh, comer I believe. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how you pronounce that, but anyway, he's the he's one of the screenwriters of Sully, and so you can uh, you can hear that uh, episode both on com and on iTunes. Uh, Reed also recently reviewed uh, Beauty and the Beast, which he seemed to like. A lot of people actually don't seem to care for it, but Reed enjoyed it. Uh, and then, lastly, uh, speaking of Reed. His podcast, The Fear of God, their latest episode is about Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven, uh, by which I mean the, the, the poem itself, not necessarily any uh, uh, film adaptation of it. And w- uh, something notable about that is that within that episode, Reed sought out friend of the show, Bill Oberst Jr., and had him do a dramatic reading of The Raven. So that is uh, available uh, in that episode. Uh, and then I also wanted to mention this. I, I put out a, a specific, uh, not even a mini, so just a, a little audio announcement uh, a few days ago, but I am doing a Kickstarter campaign for a book that I am publishing called Worth Watching. It is a book of my movie reviews and my movie essays. And the point of this book is to have something to sell at uh, film festivals and conventions and um, but also, it's something that I can sell through the website. If you're interested, uh, the campaign goal was a thousand dollars, which which we reached pretty quickly. We now have about fifteen hundred dollars, which is great. Um, but there's still more than three weeks left in the campaign, and the more money we have, the more money we can put into uh, the number of copies that we get. Uh, the frankly, the the quality, the the text. Uh, texture quality of the covers and stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, we could always use more just because we are funded does not mean, uh, that that money is going to go to waste or even that it's going to go into my pocket. It will go back into the project. So, uh, if you would like to help us out, we would certainly appreciate it. Uh, there are a number of rewards that you get at the $5 level. You just get a, a little thank you here. Um, at the $10, you get a thank you. Plus you get our bonus episode about, uh, dogma and at $20, that is when, uh, that's when you actually get your own copy of the book. So I would suggest that if you're, if you want to contribute, start at the $20 level. So if nothing else, you get the book. Um, but yeah, I really do appreciate it. Um, you can find, at morethanonelesson.com you will see a button at the top of the page on the right side that says kickstarter click on that that'll take you where you need to go and you can find out more about the project there so and for those of you that have already contributed thank you so much i really do appreciate it this has been uh, a lot of fun but honestly it was all it was also a little bit scary early on because even with a goal is as modest as $1,000. I was just worried that nobody would care and nobody would get behind it. But uh, a lot of people have, and I do appreciate it. So, all right. Now, what are we talking about today? Well, in order to answer that question, I'm going to bring in my co-host, Josh Long. Josh, how you doing? Hello. All right. What are we talking about today? I don't know. Okay. Last week, we talked about Arrival. Okay. Now, we're really? going to... We did. Okay. All right. Yes. I I was actually looking it up today. That seemed like a long time ago, but that's because we recorded it a while ago, but it only posted last Thursday. Got it. Um so uh so we talked about a science fiction movie last mm-hmm. week. This week we are talking about what could be considered a science fiction movie. I always it, it's it's a Star Wars film. I always have a hard time considering Star Wars science fiction. I don't want to be one of those snobby people, but it's it's definitely more fantasy. Than uh, than science fiction, it certainly is not. Wouldn't qualify as hard sci-fi. Yeah, but I think you could call it equal parts fantasy and sci-fi. Maybe. Okay. Whereas whereas not every science fiction movie has really any fantasy components. Um, some right. of them really have none. Right. But uh, but yeah. So we are going to be talking about Rogue One, a Star Wars story, which came out last uh, December. And I was very excited for it at the time, um, because it just—it was the first feature film. I know that they—they've done all kinds of you know uh, animated series, and, and uh-huh. uh, of course there's the the novels and that sort of thing. But it's the first feature film that was not part of the episode format, and right. it was. You know, since Disney purchased Star Wars and then they released The Force Awakens and then they announced they're going to be continuing the series itself, but then also doing these side movies. And some people were nervous. Some people thought, well, I'll just I'm not nervous, but we'll wait and see how it how it goes. Um and this was the first of those, and I would say by and large I was pretty pleased with it but honestly i'm uh, since we're talking Star Wars, I'm more than happy to uh, to defer to you on uh, whether this uh, whether this worked tonally whether it fits into the larger universe as you grew up knowing it um, mm-hmm. of course we both watched a bunch of star wars when we were kids we both had the action figures and stuff but i think your love of star wars went a little bit beyond mine Mm -hmm. um beyond what's reasonable well i didn't want to say that (laughs) uh you know but i forget did you read any star wars books or did you just play star wars cards or i played the i did play the card
1: game i read a few of the books i didn't read as many as some people did because i let me see the the one guy who wrote some of the big ones was i think it was timothy zahn is okay. that right yeah he i think that's the name of the guy who wrote several that were like here's what happened to luke or uh, han and leia's kids and right. all this stuff and uh, i think i read one of them and those were big ones i um, yeah. like among the the books about star wars those were some of the big ones because i think they were among the first maybe and i read one of those and i didn't like it
0: i would have a hard time reading that simply because it would even if it's official Mm -hmm. i would have a hard time not seeing it as just fan fiction saying like well no it's not otherwise it would be in a movie there would be a movie of this right yeah it feels like you're just making this up and and now am i to believe that this is true i almost feel that way about the force awakens and yeah yeah there's almost a little bit of a a sense of that and
1: for that one, at least, I felt like it didn't really capture the it didn't capture the feel of Star Wars that well. Right. And <laughs> it seems silly to say about a uh, science fiction book based on a uh, existing movie series, no. Yeah. Uh, but it it strains
0: credibility, <laughs> <laughs> even within that context. Front, credibility from a character standpoint or just from a world standpoint? Uh, both, I think. Okay. There's, things,
1: there's things that the characters say that I don't think they'd really say. And then there's part where, like... So Han and Leia have twins whose names I don't remember. It's like Jenna and Jace or something. Okay. They're, they're like two of them that both have J names. But there's one point where they, like... They're like seven year olds, but they get lost on the one of the like lower levels of Coruscant, which is supposed to be like a super dangerous place. And it's it's basically like if you were to say your you know two seven year old kids just happen to get lost in the worst part of Detroit. And sure, it's just like oh they'll be all right. Okay, and uh, so there were things like that that just don't didn't really make sense. Uh, I did I do remember liking that Shadows of the Empire one, which was supposed to take place between. Uh I think it's between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Oh, okay.
0: That
1: sounds pretty good. I wouldn't be surprised if they made a movie out of that one because that was a it was a pretty good story, had a good like a rememberable villain, they
0: made a yeah. video game out of the book. That I remember. Yes, yeah. I remember one called. Sh- I didn't. I don't think I. I uh, played it. I don't think I played any video games except for I believe uh, Tie Fighter on my mm. computer. It was a fun um, one. It was a fun one because yeah. um, you get to play as the villain. That was the thing that I thought was amazing. Yeah, it was a big um, deal at the time. But, uh, but yeah, it's you know, it is fascinating to me how big Star Wars is. Beyond the movies. And Mm -hmm. I think there are a lot of people like myself who might, who might be a little bit snobbish, but honestly I think my snobbishness is just a a cover for my general lack of interest. Mm. But where it's like, well, no, it's just about the movies. Well, Star Wars has shown itself to not only be about the movies; it mm-hmm. started there, but it's also TV series, it's video games, it's books, it's comic books, it's all kinds of things. And for me to just say, no, 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 it's all just the it's 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 all just the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is I think that's silly on my part, um, and so, but I think that attitude of mine does. Caused me to approach stuff like rogue one and even the force awakens with a a, excuse me, a certain degree of trepidation. Mm -hmm. Um, just because, uh, these were movies that were made and maybe even the prequels a little bit as well, but that's George Lucas. And even though I don't like the prequels, the guy that created star Wars wrote these scripts, directed the movies. So this is what he wanted Flawed, though I think it may be. Yeah. Whereas The Force Awakens and Rogue One and any movie that comes after, they were all conceived by people that are not George Lucas. And after decades of fan fiction, of of stuff that is officially canon, but also different types of canon, different storylines. And so it just feels like. I wonder if I'm ever going to be able to accept these 100%. I still enjoy them. I still Mm enjoyed the force awakens. I still enjoyed rogue one quite a bit, but I just wonder if I'm ever going to be able to accept them the same way I was able to accept those early movies. But I also realize I was a kid when I watched those. So I just accepted. That's true. And I I
1: do think it helped a lot for with the force awakens. It helped a lot to have so many of the actors that were from the original series. Um, for some reason
0: that feels like it's a
1: continuation of those characters a little bit more.
0: And I got to say, I think a big, a big connector for me is the score. You get John Williams doing the score for rogue one and it's understandable why he wouldn't. It's understandable why this film is darker. It's not an official episode. Mm -hmm. So you can have a score that sort of evokes John Williams, but you don't have to have it, you know, and there are really no, there are no major heroes mm-hmm. uh, that the films have in common. But I do think that the ways in which, and we'll like, will talk more about this in a moment, the ways in which Rogue One attempts to connect to the larger series, I tend to find a bit clunky.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I almost feel like Just be your own thing 100% and rely on our knowledge. Believe me, we already have it. Yeah, there's enough of
1: it. And that's what I'm kind of hoping will happen with some of the other ones, like the, I think they're still calling it the Bounty Hunter movie unofficially, but everybody knows it's going to be a Boba Fett movie. Like, I don't know if they made a movie about a different Bounty Hunter, everyone would be flabbergasted. Who's the robot Bounty Hunter? Uh, IG-88. There we go. I mean, I'd watch that movie, but. (laughs) Of course um, you would. (laughs) Uh. But, uh but yeah, so that I kind of hope that some of them do want to take the 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 world and just do something within the world without feeling too much like they have to really connect it to yeah um, and this is the first one to do that, so right. it doesn't necessarily mean that the others will. Uh, although I feel like maybe there's going to be a temptation to somehow get C-3PO and R2-D2 into every single one of the movies because they have been so far.
0: If it has to do, if it's going to have anything to do directly with the Rebel Alliance, yes, I think they're going to be in all of them. And which, which speaks very much to that George Lucas thing where he was inspired by Hidden Fortress and there are these yeah. two characters that just sort of bumble their way through and I think sort of... I could see filmmakers in the future saying like, "We got to have these guys in everything, not necessarily as a Greek chorus, but something like that, it yeah just show up even just for one scene, yeah, uh, just so you know that is our point of unity." But uh, right. it's like in, Money, Penny, or Q, or something exactly, in the James yes. Bond movies. Um, but anyway, so uh, so yeah. Now that we've talked around the film uh, a little bit, I will say that um, I did like the movie for the ways that it is similar to star Wars and the ways that it is notably different than the star Wars movies that I grew up with. Um, you know uh, so I saw a critic screening of it. So I, uh, at coming away from it, I, I immediately started thinking of, you know, the, 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 stuff that struck me and I thought, you know, this really feels like a platoon movie, not, not the movie platoon, but You know, movies like Sands of Iwo Jima or something like that, where you have a a platoon of soldiers, probably in World War II, Mm -hmm. who each one of them is kind of an archetype. They have their own thing going, they have a a certain type of chemistry uh, within them. And, it, and I said, like, this feels very much like a throwback, but not in the same way Star Wars felt like a throwback. This feels like a throwback to war movies of the 1940s. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting. So when I wrote my article up, I was very pleased that I had this unique take on the movie. <laughs> it turns out everybody thought that. Um, but nonetheless, that's still something that I like about it, is that it's a film that really understands the darker elements of the world of Star Wars. You are mm-hmm. dealing with a galactic empire. Th- those are two very large words. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you put them together, it gets even bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're going to fight against them, the odds are against you. Yeah. And if you're going to have any level of success, it will not be without tremendous sacrifice, if not total sacrifice on your part. Mm-hmm. That's a thing that I really appreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, and listeners, I'm going to assume that you've seen the movie because most people have. So that's, frees me up to speak openly about it um going into the film i thought well we already know that they get the the death star plans so the only real tension is going to be who lives yeah i expected it to be someone (laughs) i did not expect everyone to die Mm -hmm. um and i kind of respect that everybody dies
1: i did too i feel like that's one of the things that i liked about it is they were you know um I think that's kind of brave in this type of movie, mm-hmm. especially a Star Wars movie and yeah. like one that, you know, a lot of kids are seeing. And it's a, it's a uh, – I feel like any time – with with almost all of the superhero movies, they, they never die like a lot of the, the Marvel movies. Right. They can't. It's kind of like yeah. it, it doesn't work that they do. There's
0: one guy that died, but that's only because uh... – The character Quicksilver dies in Avengers Age of Ultron. But the character Quicksilver, because in the comics, Scarlet Witch was this as well. But. They are members of the Avengers, but they are also the the children of Magneto. So that means that those two characters, the rights, fall under X-Men and Avengers. <laughs> oh, really? So Quicksilver is a character that has been used in the new X-Men movies and has u- been used, in my opinion, to a much greater effect than he was used in Avengers Age of Ultron. Hmm. And so a good way to up the stakes is, well, we should kill one of these characters. And I thought... Well, we're not using this guy nearly as well as <laughs> as uh, as Fox is, so let's Let kill them him. Use him. So, yeah. So there's there are other reasons to kill him <laughs> off, but yes, yeah. sorry, go on.
1: But yeah, like the the that type of movie, sort of your big blockbuster uh, effects tentpole type thing. Yeah, I mean, that, that rarely happens in a movie like that. So, um, I'll I'll give them that. That was a I think that's a good
0: decision. And it's such I mean. You know, you and I have both been somewhat cynical, you more than myself, about how Disney is going to treat Star Wars. But I will say that everything that I know of Disney, and I'm perfectly fine to be cynical about Disney. But everything I know about Disney is that if they have a franchise, every decision they will make will be with the franchise in mind, not the individual film. Mm -hmm. Well, when you kill off every character in your film... (laughs) Well, that's the end of the franchise uh, of of this branch of the franchise. Mm-hmm. They could have ha- made, they could have kept a, a few of these characters alive and given them an entire like another other, sequel, uh, yeah. entire other film, but they're not yeah. going to do that. This yeah. is it for them. And I feel like that's a really interesting decision because it the events of this film gives so much more weight to the larger world. Mm-hmm. So in a way they are thinking in terms of franchise, but They're thinking about the artistic side of the franchise, yeah. The 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 stakes, the depth, yeah. um, Which I which I like. So I don't know if if they keep going along these lines with the Han Solo movie and the Bounty Hunter movie, Mm -hmm. uh, I think I'm gonna be uh, pretty okay with it. (laughs) Han Solo is gonna die at the end of the Han Solo movie. (laughs) Yes, but like. looking way ahead. Um, it just, it has a flash forward to him being murdered by his own son. Um, yeah, they just keep cutting to that over and over again. <laughs> yeah. It's um, like, in case you forgot everything you're seeing now is very, is all for naught. Cause look what happens to this man.
1: <laughs> is it going to be, have they already said that that movie is going to be like him
0: meeting Chewbacca? I feel like that's going to be what it is. Uh, I don't actually know. I know that Lando is in it. Uh-huh. Um, my guess is that if he doesn't know Chewbacca, if it's not about him meeting chewbacca my guess is it's him getting the millennium falcon like Maybe. for the first time because yeah. if lando's in it i'll bet it's both it's probably both. i'll bet
1: they're trying to get like as much origin story yeah. stuff with him as they can yeah which means i
0: don't know there's one of the so when i was a kid we're gonna be bouncing around all over star wars everyone yeah. just a heads up when i was a kid my favorite star wars thing was the first 30 minutes of return of the jedi Okay. I love Jabba's palace. I mm-hmm. love the Rancor. I love the Sarlacc pit. I just liked everything because it was just so these characters were so otherworldly, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, they were they were like nothing that I saw in my everyday life. Um, and there's a part of me that real, that thinks, well, if you make a bounty hunter movie or you make this Han Solo movie about specifically when he's younger and is, a smuggler mm-hmm. that means he's dealing with the criminal element which means we're gonna get a lot more of that stuff and yeah. the kid in me is like oh boy i'm this is gonna I'm be great sure they're gonna put job of the Hood in there somehow feels like they would have to they're gonna have to
1: but you know what they're gonna do is they're gonna make it all digital and it's gonna look not as good as they you might not they might not but i think they will
0: i think there there is such a fan there there was such a fan outcry after the uh the prequels yeah that but jj abrams clearly wanted to did his best to keep things practical mm-hmm. and i think that with somebody like jabba the hut who everybody acknowledges whether it be the digital inclusion of him in a new hope which they did and then mm-hmm. in other things i think people are like he's never looked as good yeah he, he needs to be this tactile gross thing yeah and my hope is that that they'll go with that because it's it's tough. It's like okay, so what? How far is the fan service going to go? Including job of the Hutt, that's fan service. Having a practical version of him that requires like what thirteen puppeteers or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, that goes all the way. And my, um, I don't I don't remember who's who di- who's directing the Han Solo movie. It's somebody notable. I think they've announced it already. I should find out because um, I'm actually not sure. I don't know that I've heard that. Okay, um, maybe, yeah, maybe they haven't. But I feel like. They've been making all these ca- these casting announcements. I feel yeah. like they probably announced the director, but probably. Um, but yeah, so so okay, we've been bouncing around Rogue One. Let's talk about the stuff that we liked. We talked about how everybody's dead. I talked about how it is a, <laughs> a, a throwback to these these earlier uh, platoon movies of the nineteen forties and fifties. Um, but uh, but yeah, you are more. I'd say particular than I am about star Wars movies. And so you liked the force awakens. I did. Yes. Just because I'm looking at it here. It looks like Phil
1: Lord is directing.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Interesting. That is interesting.
0: That's one of the makers of uh, the Lego movie, correct?
1: Yeah. He's, he's all comedy so far. Cloudy with a chance of meatballs, 21
0: jump street. He's done some Brooklyn nine, nine. I do like a lot of that. My concern, though, is that they'll go too comedic with Han Solo, and don't get me wrong, at this phase in his career, it makes sense why you would do that, but you don't want it to be only that, yeah. otherwise it just becomes, you know, Lethal Weapon or something. There was
1: another director listed too, Christopher Miller, who is the other Lego Movie guy, right. so it's right. like they got the Lego Movie guys to do yeah
0: well that's interesting i do you know they're good with the uh, chemistry so if this becomes like the lando and han show then uh and donald is okay. playing lando i didn't know that Yeah, i'm not thrilled with that honestly <laughs> um i think donald glover is kind of a genius in certain ways but i also think he's a limited actor and i feel like he will wind up doing an impression of Billy williams rather than crafting an entire character alden ehrenreich i be- I, I have faith in yeah um, yeah i think the only thing of his that i've seen is is uh Hail Caesar. And I think he's the highlight of that film. Hmm. Um, Okay. But uh, do you like... This is going to sound really film... uh, Not even film nerdy. This is going to sound really just geeky. (laughs) Um, Do you like uh, The Force Awakens or Rogue One more? Force Awakens. Okay. Um, Why is that? Because it feels more like Star Wars or...
1: I think it's a better movie in a lot of ways. I think... And partially that's because it... It steals a lot from A New Hope. I yeah. And people have said that. And I don't have a problem with that. Some people have a problem with it. I kind of don't. It almost feels like a, uh, it, it kind of allows it to be a remake of sorts without actually being a remake, which I think yeah. is the right decision. I don't Soft see, reboot
0: is what they call that. Yeah,
1: which I, I don't want to see someone remake the first uh, A New Hope. I, I think that'll be terrible. They'll do it eventually, but I, I don't want to see that. Um, but uh, But yeah. And I think... I mean, for one thing, J.J. Abrams is a more experienced director. Sure, um, I think he his entire career has been trying to tap into the Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, seventies uh, adventure film. Yes, and I think he does a pretty good job with it. I mean, I remember seeing the Star Trek movies, or the, the first two Star Trek movies, and saying these feel like Star Wars movies. Yeah, so and I then think,
0: Super Eight. 8- felt very much like eighties Spielberg. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's, that's definitely his, his primary influence. I'd say.
1: And I think, and I think he's, he's good with that stuff. And I liked what he did with it. There were things I didn't like about force awakens. Um, but the other thing I'll give it is the, the two core characters. I I'm, I am very invested in both of those characters throughout the film, more so in her than in him.
0: But do you mean Daisy Ridley and John Boyega? Yes. Okay. Because yeah. I would also I would add Kylo Ren into that. Yes, I really I like say. that character.
1: Yeah, I think that's a that's a really interesting character. You have a much more, you're kind of starting out with the conflicted bad guy, which you grow into in Darth Vader. Like Darth Vader eventually gets there, yeah. but kind of starting out with that makes this interesting and makes him a little bit more of a wild card. You never know exactly what he's going to do. Yeah, which is cool. Like I like having that powerful guy not be as controlled and uh and uh you know menacing in the same way that darth vader was
0: that's the thing is there's a difference he's not menacing but he's still dangerous he might be even more dangerous because can you think of anything more terrifying than somebody who has tremendous lethal power but is also really insecure yeah and is thus means constantly trying to prove himself yeah i mean that's that's honestly why he does what he does at the end of Force Awakens. Yeah. And there are people that's like, I don't like, I don't like, you know, I don't like how whiny he is. I'm like, no, his whininess is precisely what makes him so yeah. mu- so interesting. And kind of makes him uh, uh, an
1: anti-Luke Skywalker, if yeah. you will, because that's how Luke Skywalker started. He was this whiny kid who didn't really know where he was going. Yeah. And um, I imagine they're going to do some kind of redemption thing with Kylo Ren, uh, which could end up being predictable. We'll see.
0: I... I think I I do. It's always fun. It's always nice to see a a redemption story. But at the same time, I like the idea that he starts out as conflicted and just becomes irredeemable. That Mm -hmm. he, you know, when you kill your own father. I mean, I killed mine yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm still crawling out of that hole. Um, <laughs> that's dark. Sorry, everybody. I did not kill my father. Um, not directly. Yeah, I we mean, know of. You know, he did die of a heart attack just because of us, us kids. You wouldn't stop asking for stuff. <laughs> um, so, uh, but I think it would be neat if he started conflicted and then just goes 100% to the dark side and yeah. there's no, and he is a, he's every bit as as resolved in his evil as the emperor. I know? think I think that'd be interesting. I I don't think they'll do that.
1: I don't think so either. And I, if it turns into like him turning against supreme leader snoke or whatever, yeah. that's not going to be interesting cuz that Uh, that I feel like that character is not that interesting. Like no one came out of that movie going
0: like Snoke was so cool. Like everybody wants to be Kylo Ren, you know? Well admittedly. And that's the thing is they could turn the character into something, but it feels like anything they would turn that character into is just the emperor, you know, like they, they, they went different places with so many of these other characters, but with Snoke, I feel like there's only so much you can allow him to be. Right. Um, But anyway, so, yeah, I I agree with you. Um, I think I like Force Awakens more. I think tonally I like it more, and I get a better sense of who those characters are. Yeah. And I'm interested to see what happens with them. Right, which I think
1: leads to a major difference that I have between Rogue One and Force Awakens is that uh, the uh, the Felicity Jones character, yeah. I am never invested in that character through the whole movie. I don't really care about her.
0: Yeah, I she seems very, I mean, when you think about it, so many of these characters, because of what this is a throwback to, Mm -hmm. so many of them are, they are archetypes. Yeah. And they're just kind of these stock characters, but so many other actors, I don't, I don't fault Felicity Jones.
1: No, I think she's she's a good good actress.
0: actress. Um, but I feel like her and Diego Luna who, who at least they give him some genuinely grizzled things to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like they're the, the blandest characters, which is a bummer when they are the leads. Yeah. Um, and so, and and then that makes like the last moments of the film, which is supposed to
1: be the most powerful are kind of like, all right, we, I've seen this coming by this point
0: in the film and I'm like, all right, fine. I'm yeah. When, when K2SO dies, I knew mean, he's a robot, so he doesn't really die, but when he dies, like I actually had a response. And then when, yeah. R- when Riz Ahmed's character dies, you know, and he's, I believe the second one to die, he's the guy who used to work for the, the empire. And, and so he's in his ship and some stormtroopers like throw grenades in there and he just looks and there's like this look of, oh, I'm g go- I'm done. Yeah. And it's something that's very much out of like a, a, a saving private Ryan, yeah. which is the companion film, by the way, but like and moments like that had power for me. Um mm-hmm. whereas these two I don't, yeah, whereas Jen Erso and Cassian Andor like it's no fault of the actors. I think they just and I know the film had had a fair number of reshoots and I feel like yeah. every once in a while you can feel it. Really? I think Jen Urso, who I think they do a pretty good job making uh, making kind of cynical a little bit, mm-hmm. but then out of nowhere she gives this inspirational speech to the the Rebel Alliance. Yeah, and there's no build up to that. Yeah, and there's I, not much. There's not much character payoff after that. That feels like a reshoot to me. It doesn't. It doesn't earn that. And I almost
1: wonder if knowing that their research shoots i i
0: wonder if they decided to kind of add that last 10 or 15 minutes maybe i i had heard that the original ending actually is more hopeful and that not really? everybody dies and they <laughs> the reshoots involved everybody dying yeah. which i think is actually interesting like i wonder if somehow through all the special effects stuff they were like
1: let's get princess leia in there too spoilers um, yeah. and i wonder if in doing that they were like okay well if that's where the movie ends then we can have all of them die we don't yeah. need one of them to make it to the end yeah. and we have to make it be this through line about uh
0: about hope yeah well and there's yeah like rebellions are built on hope and then princess leia she s- says she has hope and then the next episode is a new a hope. hope like right that's that's not actually bad for a, for a through it's, line. Um, no. And they're passing off the plans. And so it's literally right. like Jin Erso is like passing the torch to Princess Leia as this strong female. Right.
1: Yeah. And now I will say, and I think I said this to you already, The the sequence where Darth Vader is trying is like chasing them onto the uh, like walking onto the, I think it's the same ship, right? Or is it different? Yeah. It's the 10 of four. I think, I think it's a different ship. I don't remember exactly. I don't remember if it's the same one or if it's another one. And then they take that one to lay on the other one. Regardless, that is like the best thing to happen in a
0: Star Wars movie since return of the Jedi. I think somebody on line took the end of rogue one Mm -hmm. and then put it with the beginning of a new hope. Uh, without credits or anything like that. So that one just goes into the next. Mm -hmm. And obviously there's a slight tonal shift. Uh, One is a a lot more fast paced than the other as one would expect. Mm -hmm. But, when you look at that it actually does go together pretty well yeah and i will say so so i watched that recently and so i didn't re-watch all of rogue one i watched that ending point after our main characters from rogue one are dead and now it's about the the rebels and about darth vader and that moment where there are these guys that are stuck because the door won't open yeah They, they have to try to get the the plans into this ship and the door won't open all the way. And so there are about seven of them Mm -hmm. stuck in this dark hallway. And then you see his lightsaber, uh, no, his lightsaber extend, ignite, whatever you want to call it. And he goes through and it feels like a horror movie. Oh yeah. You know, this is the guy that directed the movie monsters and Godzilla. (laughs) Yeah. And it really does make Darth Vader, a force to be reckoned Ooh. with. Um, but yeah, I, I loved
1: that sequence and yeah. I I think that made me come out making liking the movie a lot more than I would have otherwise because there were a lot of things I didn't like about it otherwise. I didn't like yep. those characters. There were a lot of the a lot of beats I wasn't crazy about. The the whole saw Guerrera thing is weird. Like I don't I don't really like that part. And it looks like Forrest Whitaker is on drugs or something. Like,
0: yeah, he's definitely trying to do something. He's trying to do something with a character that doesn't give him much to do. Yeah, And they, there's something to that character. I just feel like they used him poorly. Yeah. Um, You know, he's, he's honest. Let's look at it this way. He's more machine than man. (laughs) He needs this. He occasionally needs this device to help him breathe, Mm -hmm. but he's on the side of the rebels. That's neat to me. And he's, and he's more of a zealot. Mm hmm. Which means he's probably, he's more willing to, he's willing to be more extreme than a lot of the rebels, but you need that. And so it's like such an interesting idea. That is
1: such an interesting idea. And then somehow he ends up doing nothing. Like he he adds almost nothing to the the film. It seems like he should present more of a, a, more of an obstacle. And, you know, we as viewers will say, you're all on the same team, like work together. And then he could have a come to Jesus moment where he suddenly... He could have a uh, what have I done moment. There you go. Um, and, you know, that could be interesting, but that doesn't it
0: doesn't really happen. He just kind of fizzles out. And... Yeah, it's because early on, you know, when you see Riz Ahmed's character show up and he's he's a defector from the Empire, he has information. And Saw Gerrera is just saying like, OK, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have this horrifying monster uh, like. Latch into your brain uh, by the way, you might go insane, mm-hmm. like that's a guy who does not care about you, yeah. that's a guy who only cares about the cause. that's a saga rare I'm more interested in, mm-hmm. but then i don't know it's just I wanted more he needed one or two more scenes at yeah. least to transition from like hardcore zealot to a bit of a soft hearted guy for for the gin character yeah. um yeah. That's the thing. Is there's a lot of stu- There's a lot in this movie I like, but there's some stuff that feels rushed and thus feels incomplete and just inherently unsatisfying. Mm-hmm. I watched the film twice. I saw it. I saw the the critic screening, and then my uh, my in laws wanted to see it when we were visiting for Christmas, so we went and saw it. You watch it a second. I've seen Force Awakens like three times. I think and, I've seen it twice, and I've seen this one once. Okay, Force Awakens, I think holds up. Like the whole film holds up upon multiple viewings. Rogue one, the second half holds up hmm. the first half you're being introduced to characters and that's all well and good. But once you get Saw Gerrera out of there, it's it, honestly not unlike the first Avengers film hmm. when all the characters are together. And yes, they might still be conflicted about what it is they want to do or how they do it. Um, but once everybody's together, as opposed to your, as opposed to introducing them one at a time, mm-hmm. um, once they're together, that's when the film really starts working. Mm-hmm. Because that's the thing: if you're trying to be a platoon movie, then once the platoon is assembled, you're good. But yeah. before that, it just feels like you're sp- not that you're spinning your wheels, but it's just it just feels like exposition.
1: Yeah, and I almost feel like maybe they would have been better served if we had just started with all those characters together rather than having to do kind of introductions of each one. Because yeah. then I don't I don't feel like they're a team. I feel like I've yeah. seen them just meet and now I'm seeing them right. like a day later go on and siege this Imperial base yeah. all by themselves. And I don't, it again, strains credibility.
0: Well, and that's, yeah, it's, uh, it's good that there are a few people on the team that already know each other, like the Bays and Sharut. I think their name is the, the blind monk mm-hmm. and then his heavy duty uh protector character they already know each other they have i wouldn't go as far as say chemistry but i definitely believe they have a a history yeah um that i believe and that's helpful um and but i will say that you know to to briefly reference our uh, companion film for a moment i will say that when we are introduced to the platoon in saving private ryan I mean, you've got the Italian guy, the religious guy, the Jewish guy, the Mm. Southern guy, the the tough sergeant. I mean, it couldn't be more archetypical, but it's written in a pretty – they're written pretty well, and – they have such chemistry, you believe that these guys have been together for a while, yeah. Even in a movie like
1: Predator, it's kind of the same thing, like, absolutely. Like Predator, they're super archetypes, but
0: you like you believe in their history together, yeah. Um, just because of the shorthand, because of the stuff that they, you know, so many movies. Um, next week, we're going to be talking about a movie that actually kind of has a, a a platoon element to it or with soldiers and that sort of thing and the banter between soldiers in a war movie to me has the potential to be horrible mm-hmm. where it's just like you know you're this la, this guy's lady back at home and whatever it is and just it's so generic uh but if you do it right then you actually can have you can actually have jokes come out of people not saying things yeah. or just a look exchanged or mm-hmm. something like that. And you know, it's, it, I actually think there, there's a, a nice bit of, again, not, maybe not chemistry, but uh, between Diego Luna and then uh, K2SO mm-hmm. and just the way that it's the way Ca- uh, Cassie and that's Diego Luna, the way he's saying like, don't tell me this, like, I don't want to hear it because he knows that if I don't say this, then K2SO is going to say something I don't want to hear. It's mm-hmm. it's the, I believe that they have a previous relationship. But you have all these, you have these pockets of people. And I feel like the movie needed to either be a half hour longer <laughs> or start later. Yeah. Um, yeah. But... But once they are together, you know, I feel like we're kind of tearing the movie apart a little bit. Um, There are a lot of things about it that that I find frustrating. But um, you know, that last forty minutes, maybe forty five minutes, makes up for a lot for me. Mm -hmm. Um, It is a very effective war movie. Uh, It feels. It it takes place in an environment we haven't seen before in Star Wars, which is this weird tropical environment, and the idea that horrible things can happen in the midst of that is interesting mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. You know, you expect terrible things to happen on a <laughs> You know, it's a desolate place of death. Uh, even if you, even if nothing is trying to kill you, mm-hmm. the cold will kill you. And then the Wampa will get you. Mm-hmm. Um, that should, but, that should be on a t-shirt. These, <laughs> the cold will kill you and the Wampa will eat you. Um, sounds like we've got another, sh- uh, more than one lesson shirt that no one oh. will buy. Um, <laughs> So uh so what are some of the things that you do respond to positively about the film?
1: I mean that that ending sequence I think is yeah. really good. Um I think the choice of setting in finding in doing like a tropical location with stormtroopers in it that's something we haven't seen before that's interesting. Um and they were playing that up hardcore and that was like every poster oh, every sure. billboard for that movie was like uh, Stormtroopers in in the ocean. Yeah, um, trouble
0: in paradise, Rogue One.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, I do like. I, I I love Mads Mikkelsen as an actor, and I think the
0: the beginning sequence is pretty good. You know, when you see stuff like this, I'm reminded of Gangs of New York. Mm-hmm. When you see Ben Mendelsohn, who honestly I feel like I would have liked to see more from his character. I feel like they don't do much with him, but. Yeah when you see Ben Mendelsohn acting opposite Mads Mikkelsen and they're talking about the way things used to be and you get a sense of, of hurt between both of them. Yeah. Wouldn't that be a better movie? Yeah. To me, it's like, I would have much rather seen Liam Neeson versus Daniel Day-Lewis in Gangs of New York, Mm -hmm. but there's this like passing of the torch from like this older generation to the younger. It's like, that's fine, but the older's more interesting. Mm -hmm. And in that, the opening scene that you're talking about, which we're only given a few minutes, I get way more of a sense of history between these two characters, and I would have loved to explore that. The idea that someone in the empire, someone high up in the empire, has a friend. Mm Mm-hmm who actually no longer believes in what the empire is doing. And that frustrates him. And that makes him sad. Like that's fascinating. It oh, humanizes yeah. someone in the empire. Yeah. Um, that is, you know, when you see the potential there, like what they're doing with Kylo Ren and what they started to do with the, the Ben Mendelssohn character, it, it gives me hope uh, for what the series can, where the series can go from here. Yeah. Um, but, that's merely a hint they don't follow through with it yeah i i think the more that
1: movies within this star wars universe start with uh complex character things and then build the world around it Mm -hmm. i think that's gonna that's gonna benefit the movies rather than um because it's a world we know so much and i think a lot of what's going to happen is they're going to say people are going to want to see this like they're going to want to see how they get the plans for the death star. And it starts with that. And yeah. then, you know, they build a framework based on that and then try to get some character things in there. Yeah. And it becomes ultimately less interesting. Yeah. Um, so uh, again, I, I think that's, that's the way to go with a lot of these movies, but we'll see, we'll see what they do choose to do with it.
0: It's a tightrope because yeah. if you have, if you do what they do in the force awakens, where you do have characters that we already know, You want to be careful not to lean too heavily on them lest it just become, lest it feel like they're just exploiting our previous relationship with these characters. Right. But if you create new characters, they need to, they need to bear the weight of this, of carrying on this franchise and they... But there's always the possibility of scaring away fanboys who are like, I don't like this new, I don't like this girl mm-hmm. who's the lead now. I like Luke. Hey, here's Luke. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, sorry. To my knowledge, very few people said that. But there did, there with Rogue One, there was a bit of pushback where it's like, okay, are we going to get nothing but female protagonists mm-hmm. uh, in this series from now on? Like, And I can understand that, like the idea of something leading with a from a place of like political correctness. But to me, if you've got the Daisy Ridley character fine, it's fine with me. I think she's great. Yeah, that's a great character. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's a bit of a, of a tightrope, And I think force awakens mostly walks it pretty well, especially as you say, with those two leads. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas rogue one, the nature of it is you're not going to spend much time with these characters, which is probably why they need to be a bit more archetypical, mm-hmm. um, archetypal, yes archetypal um but uh, and so they don't have much time to make an impression and so yeah it's gonna feel they're gonna feel a little bit jammed in there and so i wonder if if a movie like rogue one was ever going to work on the level that i would have liked it to work
1: yeah yeah i don't know and a lot of it, it that is a script level thing yeah so um, so I don't now know who wrote that actually
0: i should look. oh it. um rogue one yeah. Chris Weitz, and Tony Gilroy. Tony Gilroy, really? Yeah. Um, and there are, there are little dialogue flourishes that I could see. There's In that opening scene, there's a line that I actually really like, and it's delivered very well by Ben Mendelsohn. It's when, um, I wish I'd written it down, where... Uh, Ben Mendelsohn's character is talking about, you know, we're going to, we're finally going to establish order or something like that. And then Mads Mickelson says like, you know, I think you're confusing order with terror. And he says, well, you got to start somewhere. You know, <laughs> I, I like that because it's, it, that seems like a Tony Gilroy line, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, something out of Michael Clayton or something. Yeah. Um, But uh, yeah, it's, it is far from a perfect film. It was an effective film made effective by, I mean, there are plenty of movies I've seen that are mediocre throughout, or just or merely fine that end well, and that's mm-hmm. kind of enough for me. Yeah. Um, I was not in a rush to buy Rogue One. I don't think it's available yet, um, or maybe it is. is. It not. I think maybe maybe it, it is now. The fact that I don't know probably speaks volumes. Whereas <laughs> yeah. I was very aware when Force Awakens came out. and I believe I bought it. I found myself at Target the day it came out. <laughs> but honestly, I think that whenever I was at Target's. I probably was going to buy the force awakens. It just, it feels like a movie I would like to have in my collection. And sure enough, I have, I've watched it since then. What was your destiny? I think so. (laughs) Uh, rogue one. I don't feel that so much. I may put it on some Christmas list or something someday, but, uh, it's nothing that I'm going to like scamper out and purchase. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I'm glad that they, uh, it could have been so much worse, Mm -hmm. uh, than it was. Um, yeah. I will say something that bothered me less the second time I saw it, but bothered me a lot when I first saw it is Grand Moff Tarkin. <laughs> That's what I thought you were going to say. Yeah, boy, oh boy. Uh, yeah, it's it's
1: just it's an effect that doesn't totally work, you know? And it's like, I, I feel like if we know that effects like that are not going to totally work, we just shouldn't do them because they put you know they put so much time and so much effort and so much money into that
0: and the whole time you're like he doesn't look like the other people like yeah especially in the mouth like in watching it a second time it's like this effect does look pretty good Uh but if it's not a hundred percent and if you know that peter cushing is dead then that means you're going to be looking for any seams Mm -hmm. and it has plenty yeah um, and the voice
1: actor does great. No, the voice acting is great. And, uh, yeah, like you can't fault that, but you know, do you could do something where we don't see the actor's face. He stays turned away and we just hear the voice you know,
0: there, there's, yeah. Uh, when you first see him, he's standing with his back to you and you see his face in as a reflection in the window. And I thought that looks good. And yeah. then just keep it, keep it as the voice and then give a lot of his lines, to Ben Mendelssohn. It'll mm-hmm. develop his character more. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was just a, and then, uh, our friend Jason Eakin, I think he's the one that said, no one will be upset with you. If you just recast the character, you've got Charles dance out there who doesn't look that far off mm-hmm. from, uh, Peter Cushing. Yeah. And he could definitely convey that level of menace. Just cast him. Everyone will understand. Yeah. And I feel like,
1: I feel like uh, the Star Wars franchise should know it better than any star, any uh, franchise. Because between the original uh, special edition release and mm-hmm. the release of the DVDs, they changed. They changed that job of the hut, like the yeah. The, so the, even in that small window, and even of the time, changed one didn't look good. No, neither one of them looks that good. But but in the five years or whatever it was between the original release and when they started releasing the DVDs in that short amount of a time. Yeah. It looked bad enough because uh, you know, the special effects had progressed enough that that they they had
0: to change it and probably that you know the same thing's going to happen again with this. It's crazy, isn't it, that like CG when used well is one of the most amazing things you can ever see. Oh yeah. But practical effects even the ones that show their age, the very fact that they're in the same place as the actors, that shark head in Jaws that eats Quint, you know, you can see the hinge in the jaw. Like no shark's mouth looks like that. And it's moving around kind of clunkily. But you know what? Robert Shaw is in its mouth. yeah, And And he's screaming and mm -hmm. and blood is going all over the place. That's enough. Yeah. And I think it's scarier than the shark in... uh... What's that new movie? That oh, we, The Shallows. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, they do. not now that there's anything wrong with that movie. Yeah. Like they do some, a lot of cool stuff with that, but that looks like an effect shark the whole time. Yeah. And
0: so the original, uh, John Carpenter's The Thing, mm-hmm. and then they did a sort of prequel slash reboot, uh, in 2011, which I rewatched somewhat recently. And, you know, they definitely use the practical effects from John Carpenter's film, uh, as a basis. And they try to have practical effects where they can, but they also definitely are trying to do more with CG and it doesn't hold up nearly as well as the practical effects, which still, if you look at them now, it's like, ah, eh, that, that part looks a little clunky, but it doesn't matter because they're in no. the same physical and space. That was like a highlight of that film. Too. Oh, no question. Like that's kind of a, yeah. So it's, yeah, it, Watching it a second time, now that I knew it was there, it was more acceptable. But mm-hmm. when I first saw it, I didn't hear a word that he it, was saying because yeah, I was just thinking like, time. why are they doing this? And, of course, I saw it in a room full of critics when I first saw it. And there was an audible reaction to when he turns around and starts talking. Really? There was a, hey, like people didn't say, hey, but there was like a, hmm. When you mm-hmm. see him in the reflection, and they thought, mm-hmm. how nice, a little, a little nod to, to Peter Cushing. Yeah. He turns around and people are like, you heard, <laughs> that, that time you actually did hear people verbalize or vocalize something. Yeah. Um, and so while, you know, in watching it a second time, I wouldn't say it's a fatal flaw. And I will say that somebody that I saw it with the second time who doesn't know movies, they don't know Peter Cushing, mm-hmm. didn't know there was an issue thought that there was a that that was a person there. Really? Yes. So I I thought you were going to say the opposite that somebody who didn't know that character was like why on earth did they make a digital person. Right. No, he uh he didn't know to be looking for it um and just had no saw no issue with it at all. And I guess maybe that's true. If you're if you're going for an audience of like younger people that's the thing if you're going for an audience of younger people who might be seeing this without knowledge that Peter Cushing is gone or whatever, then they might accept that without even thinking about it. But then I thought, but this film is so full of references for people like us that it's like, okay, well, which audience is this for? Because you and I are going to be deeply bothered by that CGI, uh, grand Moff Tarkin. Mm -hmm. Um, so is that worth it? I don't know. It's, I think it was just a very misguided idea. Yeah. And unless you can get it 100% perfect, unless you can have one of those mission impossible masks that is 100% (laughs) right, then I think you just got to avoid it. And then they do the same thing with princess Leia at
1: the very end.
0: But you know what? They have a moment where she turns and you just see like her face and profile. It looks great. They should have left it at that. Should have left it at that. Yeah. Although I
1: will say, this is not to the film's credit. <laughs> okay. But that moment was kind of an, uh, had like a punch to it because I saw that the day after she died.
0: Yeah. So sure. like,
1: it was kind of like, Oh my gosh, there she is. So that, yeah. that like that had an effect that way, but hmm. interesting, which is weird to think. Cause
0: I think if I'd seen it, otherwise I've been like, Oh, why'd they do that? But it's when, you know what, when, when she turns and it's just the silhouette, I actually thought it was really powerful. Yeah. It really worked for me. And yeah. not unlike the reflection, she turns all the way and it's like, I'm out when she, yeah. When she talks, it yeah. doesn't And they, they. And then it's smash cut to credit. So it's like, now this is what I'm left thinking yeah. about. Yeah. So I'm sorry. I interrupted. You were going to say something. No, no, I think that okay. was it. Um, okay. So, you know, Rogue One, is still a film that I, that I enjoy. And it definitely, by having that ending that it does, um, it fits in very well with the the war genre and the platoon genre and so uh the companion film is, is steven spielberg saving private ryan which i haven't seen in a while i saw it in the theater um very powerful to see mm-hmm. in the theater powerful to see really anytime um and so as i was going through the the script and some of the memorable lines from it i realized like this is it's a film that as i've gotten older i see some of the kind of cliche elements to it. And I much prefer thin red line the same, re- the same year. Yeah. but yeah, I this, can see that. This is a film that still is, has a pretty good script and definitely has some amazing moments and great performances, great performances all around. Definitely. Um, so it's a film that I think I need to revisit just to remember that like, yeah, it's not, it's so different than Thin Red Line. I really shouldn't compare them. Yes, they came out the same year. And yes, they're both World War II movies, but they are, they are very different entities with very different goals. And so I should not be so hard on Saving Private Ryan. Um, it's not a movie that I feel the need to return to, mostly because it is a difficult film to watch
1: yeah that's the way i feel about about a lot of war films actually which makes it a little harder for me to get into them because often they are so heavy yeah and kind of they're if they're not heavy they feel irresponsible to a degree (laughs) absolutely
0: yeah oh in a way saving private ryan that and platoon are like the most responsible war movies you'll (laughs) ever see because they are so unpleasant to watch Mm -hmm. in so many ways but they're great um so uh so yeah saving private ryan you know for those that don't know and i'm sure you do it's uh it's about this platoon that is uh, deployed to find one guy in the midst of the European theater uh, of World War II. who he has three brothers, I believe, and they have all been killed. And so the army has decided they're going to pull him out because they don't want this. They don't want his poor mother to have lost all of her sons. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so it's this platoon kind of going from one part of the war to the next uh one battle to the next trying to find where this guy might be and so it's it's a very interesting idea and i think it's it's based on a on a true story at least in part Mm -hmm. and and it's uh it's very effective and i think as we said before the characters are solid and the the acting is really uh is really good and everybody has really nice chemistry and as I've said before, and as I'll talk about next week, um, the banter between soldiers doesn't feel that clunky to me. Uh, even, even when they're, I, I was, as I said, I was looking over the lines and there's a part where Edward Burns character is talking about like, you know, Hey, we all have mothers, you know, which that comes naturally from the discussion of their situation. They have to go, you know, this guy's poor mother. We don't want him to lose all, mm-hmm. uh, want her to lose all her children. But he says, you know, I have a mother, you have a mother Because I'm sure the cat, even the captain has a mother. Well, maybe not the captain that seems very old timey. The idea mm-hmm. of saying like, Oh, I don't believe you have a mother. That's dumb. That's a <laughs> dumb way of thinking. But, uh, and I feel like, yeah, oh, there's, there are better jokes that can be made, but there are so many other elements in there. Um, moments of, of serious meditation and, and moments of real heroism with one another, mm-hmm. um, that, uh, that it is, you really do believe that these guys care about each other and, uh, and are one, they're one complete unit, as opposed to, as you were saying with rogue one, that as a, as a unit, they don't completely gel. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, So I I would say I agree with you uh, on that. Um, I will say Saving Private Ryan won Best Director, Cinematography, Sound Editing, and Sound Editing. (laughs) Well, that's confusing. (laughs) Uh, It was nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor for Tom Hanks, Original Screenplay, Art Direction, Makeup, and Original Score, back when they split up score between Dramatic and uh, Comedic. Uh, Oh, yeah. I think they stopped doing that the very next year. Really? Um, But uh, yeah... uh, now, as we said, when we talked about um, Shakespeare in Love as the winner of Best Picture for 1998, mm-hmm. everybody believes that Saving Private Ryan deserved Best Picture. I but remember the outrage. Oh, yes, absolutely. And because everyone just said, like, ah, oh, that's just Miramax campa- campaigning, which is admittedly probably, <laughs> probably true, true. But Shakespeare in Love is still a wonderful film and mm-hmm. one that feels so much more original than this. This is mm-hmm. a wonderful or just a very effective version of what it is, but what we've se- what it is is something we've seen many it, times before. True. Yeah, and it it's not like it was it was no slouch at the Oscars either. It won the Oscars yeah. that I think it needed to, yeah. which was director, cinematography, editing, everything that this film excels at. Yeah, but I was fine with it not winning Best Picture. Yeah, um, I, I'm okay with that too. Um, I mean, my favorite movie of that year wasn't even nominated for Picture, which is Truman Show. Uh, in retrospect, I think I probably prefer a Thin Red Line, but mm-hmm. um, so. Uh, so let's, let's move on to, to the, the tail end here. Uh, we got to wrap up in the next few minutes. Um, so, you know, one thing about these platoon movies is, uh, is it is very much about self-sacrifice, not merely for the overall goal, but also for one another. And that's why the idea that these people have to we need to believe that they have a history and that they genuinely care about each other. That's why that's so important. Um, that they, that these are the, it, there's a reason that, um, that mini series based on a book was called, you know, band of brothers that in that mm-hmm. moment, that's what, that's what they are is they're right. brothers and sisters and that sort yeah. of thing. So, um, so there's a couple, uh, line, uh, there are some lines from saving private Ryan. I wanted to, uh, wanted to read. Uh, one is a nice exchange, between Ryan played by Matt Damon and Captain Miller played by Tom Hanks. Ryan says these guys, so they finally find him and they say, Hey, we're going to take you home. But he's Ryan is with his own, his own band of brothers there. And he's like, why do I deserve to leave? And he says, these guys deserve to go home as much as I do. They've fought just as hard. And then the captain says, is that what I'm supposed to tell your mother when she gets another American flag? And then he says, you can tell her that when you found me, I was with the only brothers I had left and there was no way I was deserting them. I think she'd understand that. First off, I really like that. I think that's a good line. The yeah. only brothers I have left. I really yeah. like that a lot. Um, and then Miller himself uh, is talking about, you know, what it's like to lead men into battle, knowing that a good portion of them are going to die. Yeah. And he says, when you end up killing one of your men, and it's first off, I like this line that it starts with when you end up killing one of your men. Well, he didn't kill them, mm-hmm. but it speaks to like how responsible he feels for them. Right. When you end up killing one of your men, you tell yourself it happened. So you could save the lives of two or three or 10 others, maybe a hundred others. Do you know how many, how many men I've lost under my command? 94. But that means I've saved the lives of 10 times that many, doesn't it? Maybe even 20, 20 times as many. And that's how simple it is. That's how you rationalize making the choice between the mission and the man. And so, you know, we're talking about sacrifice. We're talking about, you know, going into the midst of a, of a situation that is, uh, potentially very frightening and dangerous. And maybe even, uh, there's a guarantee of failure, um, or not even the guarantee of failure, but like as with rogue one, the guarantee that you're not going to be around to see the results Mm -hmm. of your success. Um, And so I wanted to go into 1 Corinthians here, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And that is, you know, something to be kept in mind when talking about sacrifice, especially if it's self-sacrifice, is that you need to believe that it's for nothing, mm-hmm. uh, it, that, that it's not for nothing. Pardon me. Um, and then, uh, several, uh, verses here that speak to the larger unity of, you know, I quite literally, these are, this is a military unit. And mm-hmm. so unity as uh, I think is I, important. I, I, think I just now uh, realized <laughs> that, uh, Ecclesiastes four verses 10 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, in this case, it doesn't mean what it means in other (laughs) sections of the Bible. Uh, Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. I love the phrasing of that because it says quickly broken. Hmm. It doesn't say it's not broken. Hmm. It might be, but through unity and by standing together in your goals, you're going to last a lot longer than if you're one person by himself. Sure. Yeah. Um, And then Psalm one capper on that. Uh, Psalm 133 verse one, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Um. And I think we're just going to, we're going to read a few more of these. Uh, Let's uh, throw Philippians to you. This is Philippians. It says Philippians two, verse four, but I think there are more verses than that. And I I forgot to write them down. Okay. Well, it's
1: somewhere in that environment. So here you go. It's therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others.
0: And then John 15, verse 13, greater love has no one than this to lay lay down one's life for one's friends. So, you know, in watching Rogue One and Saving Private Ryan, you have people that are, it's so definitely more in Saving Private Ryan than in Rogue One. But what I will say is that the the goals of Rogue One are... It's something that actually did strike me emotionally is, in the larger Star Wars world is that... Yeah, Luke Skywalker and Han Solo and Princess Leia—they're going to get the glory because they're in the in this war, Mm. they are high-profile figures. They're going to get those medals. They're going to get those medals in that (laughs) in that uh, tomb, quiet uh, (laughs) hall. But um, but for any for every like one of those people, there are entire platoons and battalions of people that are they know that they're not going to see the end of this. Mm-hmm. They're just hoping to make what difference they can along the way. Yeah. And that really comes through, I think in rogue one. Yeah, no, I think so. Um, and that's one of the things that we ended up responding to more in it. Yeah. I think. And that, and even in that scene with, with Darth Vader cutting through all those guys, you know, they want to get out and they keep trying to get out. But after a while, the guy holding, you know, the plans for the death star, he realizes, okay, me us getting out is not that important. Mm -hmm. And so he hands off the plans and says, just take these and then he's dead a moment later. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, it's, I feel like the film is very effective on that front. And so between that, there's the goal that you, that, that they have together. And then there is their commitment to one another along the way. And you need to be committed to each other. Not you, you might still accomplish the goal, but you definitely will act more as one unit if you are committed to each other and willing to sacrifice yourself for one another, as you are all collectively sacrificing for this larger goal. And, uh, you know, to briefly mention this, that I will say, you know, it's on Facebook recently. I was, uh, <clears throat> angry as tends to happen on Facebook. I can't imagine. Uh, I'm uh, somebody had posted uh, a link to a, a, an article in which someone had written that the new healthcare bill is a sin and it was, I didn't know bills could be. I know. I know. Um, and the thing is this, if you want I think the new healthcare bill is terrible (laughs) on a, (laughs) on a number of levels. Um, and I read through the article that the person wrote, the person that posted it is not the person that wrote it. They're simply linking to it. And so as I read through it, I realized that like, yeah, I see the point that this person is making, the idea of of taking away coverage from people that can't afford it and stuff like that, and not to get political. Um so I understand why someone could think that, but at the same time, both parties believe things and actively pursue things that someone could see as a sin, which is a a really big deal. If you are defining yourself spiritually and politically only in terms of parties, if however you as an individual are doing something that is sinful, that's different. That's really the most you can be held accountable for. Um, And in the end we just make, you know, we make compromises to vote for the person that we think will do the least amount of damage. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I know that sounds really dark, but (laughs) well, not always, but in in certain recent elections. Yeah. We live in pretty dark times, I would say. Um, But it bothered me so much that, that the person who posted that just said, this is, you know, they, they quoted the article and it's like, Oh, this is, this is a sin. And I thought like, this is how people get angry. This is how people especially within the church and the church is already pretty divided as it is. But Mm -hmm. when you start to say that if you vote this way, you are in sin, Mm -hmm. which don't get me wrong, the Republican uh, conservative Christians say that plenty. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't mean to say that it's, that it's just the other side, but honestly, if you just recognize that we are all striving for something larger, even than this world. And yes, we can disagree on how to uh, achieve that and then how best to bring that to the world we live in um, you know we are going to disagree on that and we're going to have very spirited debates but underneath that there needs to be a spirit of love and commitment towards one another because we are all one unit we are you know we need to let's see it is how good and pleasant it is when when god's people live together in unity and i'm somebody who Often when it comes to movies, I am very quick to be judgmental of other Christians, but when it comes right down to it, I need to remember that the stuff that we are pursuing in this life and the next, to sound like the end of Gladiator, um, is bigger than movies, it's bigger than politics, uh, Mm -hmm. and that we need to keep our, our eyes on the larger goal while also being there for one another. Uh, mm. cause that's the only way that we can be unified. And as it says, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So, mm. uh, so I just wanted to say that. Um, but what I will say is that, uh, as important as sacrifice is according to Proverbs 21, three to do what is right is just to do what is right. And just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Uh, more on that next week. Mm. see <laughs> pretty good um so we will go ahead and leave it there i will uh let everyone know that you can email me tyler more than one lesson.com. you're also welcome to uh comment uh on this post at more than one lesson.com. you can follow me on twitter at more lessons you can follow josh at the josh long. at the josh long you got to tweet more Yeah, i was I looking at your twitter accountants it's been a long time pretty dry yeah pretty dry so get on it all I right. have four Twitter accounts, and I only I only neglect two of them. Maybe I'll tweet right now. I'll say Absolutely. something like,
1: "Sorry, everyone."
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that'd be crazy. Um, so. Uh Yeah. And then of course you can like us on Facebook and, uh, please do, as you are headed over to more than one lesson, please do check out that Kickstarter page. Uh, we need, I say, we need all the help we can, can get, we are 150% funded. We've gotten the help that we need, but we could always use more so that I can print more copies and get more copies of the book out to people. Uh, one of the goals that I didn't say at the top is that, you know, um, at this year's International Christian Film Festival, I'm going to be giving a talk that is titled Everybody Hates Critics, um, and it's going to be about the importance of a of critical thinking in the Christian community when it comes to art and movies in particular. And so I want to actually have something, a book, not merely a, a business card for my podcast that nobody will listen to, <laughs> um, an actual book to say, here, this is... It's, this isn't going to fix everything, but this is at least what I think about certain movies and maybe that can help. Um, so that's, you know, short term, that's, that's the goal. Um, so the more copies we can get, the better. So, all right. Uh, that is where we will leave it. Thank you everybody for listening. Josh, thanks for being here. You're welcome. And we'll get you next time. Bye.